you know, we 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 want to see a team that develops that can run the operation that um, you know they themselves develop and become fantastic managers. Um, you know, sort of running the business, understanding the financials of one thing or another, and you know that that allows us to to go off and do other things that promote the business or bring us further opportunities, be it you know one-off events or who knows um but yeah i mean that 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 for us is where it is is you know really about the team hello and welcome to another episode of the burnt chef journal hosted by myself chris hall the founder of the burnt chef project this week we're joined by stuart collins who's the owner of docket number 33 based in shropshire he talks to us about his journey through hospitality and, and how he found his way into the hospitality industry as a chef, having worked for the likes of Gordon Ramsay, Michael Keynes and Gary Rhodes. He's certainly been in a lot of different environments and had the fortune to travel all around the world with his career. So he talks to us about the things that he's learned throughout his journey and also why hospitality should be deemed as the profession of choice. I appreciate it's been a little while since our last episode. Things have been quite busy with launching the Leadership and Mental Health Diploma, as well as training multiple teams in mental health awareness and, and doing what we can to support the industry at this moment in time. So thanks for bearing with us. Uh, normal service will be resumed and our fortnightly episodes will keep going until certainly the end of the year, but we have many, many more to share with you. Thanks again, and uh, let's crack on with this week's episode. On the surface, we at Lamb Weston are a leading global frozen potato product provider, but hospitality is in our roots. We are helping to chip away the stigma of mental health in the industry and truly believe in well-being through potatoes, which is why we are in full support of the Burnt Chef project. If you want to find out more about how we provide well-being through the humble potato, or try a free sample of our award-winning products, such as our proper British chips, The Dukes. Follow us on Instagram at Lamweston UK. So I'm joined here today by Stuart. Hi, Stuart. How's it going? Hi, Chris. Really well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Busy week. Uh, but yeah, cannot complain. Complain? Complain. So, uh, so whereabouts are you at this moment in time? So I've just I've just nipped home from the restaurant to to have this chat with you. Um, so yeah, just taking an hour out, left the team to it. Um, so yeah, I see you've got a, a few bottles of uh, is it Dom Perignon on the on the shelf behind you there. A good range. Yeah, it's uh, you know that's the sort of uh, out of the out of the reach of our small child. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know for the celebratory times. Good. I mean, it's been a bit of a bit of a crazy, crazy twelve months. How, how have you found it? Yeah, challenging, of course, as as many in hospitality. Um, we, it's funny. We sort of, we, you know, we we went into the pandemic. We had the restaurant and we had a wine bar. Um, we unfortunately lost the wine bar through the through the time. Um, but then with the restaurant, we. You know, our sort of docket at home, our at-home meals, that took off and it was incredible. Um, like really took off um, to the point that we're still doing it. It's now become a, an additional string to the bow that we offer through the restaurant. And um, yeah, I think we, you know, we sort of, we every week we change the menu. Uh, and I think we're on to like week 65 or something, um, which is superb. So yeah, a bit of a bittersweet uh sort of thing going on there um you know tough to to lose a business and and the people that were within it that was obviously the hardest thing but um equally we've now it's actually strengthened our business in the restaurant which means we can build a bigger and better team than we ever had so it's sort of yeah it's a balance it's, it's but it's balanced out nicely it's tricky, isn't it? Often enough, we, uh, you know, especially as business owners, you tend to think, well, I've got to, you know, what's next? What's, what else can I build? And how many more, you know, plates can I get spinning? But as a result of that, what we inadvertently do, and, and this isn't intentional at all, is just perhaps our, our tension split 
Uh, and so it's interesting to hear that it's sort of now it's been refocused again. You, you're you're able to look at processes and and, and your current team and and go harder on and stronger on that. Hey, yeah, very much. It's um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that the, the pandemic really made everyone stop and think and think. You know, we all get on this this crazy treadmill and we want more and we do more and everything's bigger and better and faster and you know, and I think that's human nature. We sort of have that drive inside us but I think it's suddenly brought home that actually it's it's all quite fragile and especially in the case of hospitality it's you know it's um it can be gone very quickly so um you know for us we really took stock of it and um we're really enjoying that sort of rebuilding of the current business um you know delighted to be able to take on even more employees than we've ever had you know more team members which is fantastic and almost do it better than we'd done before. Um, you know, we've learned a lot in the in the four years we've been there, and it's almost like um, almost like a semi new start. It's like a you know a bit of a refresh on a few of the things we do, and as you say, the systems and procedures, and and that's the exciting thing. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's lovely as you say as a business owner, as an employer, to be able to have a a much nicer working environment, uh, sort of even from the get go from the you know, the onboarding of, of, of people joining the team. It's just a lot more professional, if you like, but a lot more polished. Um, and that's lovely. You know, it feels great to have that um, evolve in, within our own business. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's almost like that shared circuit breaker that we that we needed in order to, you know, hospitality is fucking amazing at being able to pivot on a dime and being able to, like, uh, you know, suddenly deal with problems right in front of our face. But then also at the same time, and to use it, you know, in a kitchen analogy, it's like having a fire constantly behind you that you're running away from and you're never really going to get a time to stop and actually go, actually, why is the fire chasing us for? And and what can we do to actually put it out and save running for a little bit? So it's it's sounding like that's that epiphany has happened over the course of the COVID, hey? Uh, absolutely. You know, we, we spent, uh, so my wife, Frances, she, uh, you know, we run the restaurant together, Fran runs the front and... Is definitely the more integral part to the business. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time during COVID sort of, um, you know, walking around and stuff and really talking through the way we ran the business and, and what was great and what was not. And, you know, uh, looking at things that perhaps we hadn't got quite right. Um, equally really enjoying that, as I say, that growth. And I think a lot of smaller businesses, um, you go through that. Um you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that progression as long as it's moving forward. It's, it's absolutely cool. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to make sure when we reopened, we um, it was it was better than ever. Um, and, you know, we, we're moving forwards and really pushing forwards for whatever might come next. Who knows? Exactly, exactly. So, Stuart, for those who aren't familiar with you, with you from uh, perhaps things like Great British Menu, um, just just explain to the listeners exactly sort of who you are and what brought you into what brought you into hospitality as well so i, I started out in a in my little a village where i grew up in staffordshire um working in a butcher shop really humble sort of washing up on a saturday initially and then sort of post uh, after school um a couple of hours every day um and they did some outside catering and of course, they sort of supplied a few local pubs. And after I'd been with the butchers, I don't know, a couple of years, I moved over to one of the pubs that we supplied. And I must have been sort of, I don't know, just 16, sort of after school, whatever. And um, there was a chef there. And I remember him talking to me about Michelin stars and this sort of big, wide world of, yeah, restaurants and fantastic chefs and all of these things that... And of course, this is showing my age now, but was back pre-social media and, you know, Instagram and stuff. So um, it was this big sort of unknown. And I remember almost being totally baffled by it. No idea. Um, and he said, right, off you go to sort of Birmingham College, go and do an open day and, and see what you think of it. So I went, loved the idea of the college. Um, school had never really been my thing. So it was nice to get to college and it was exciting and it was cool and, you know, absolutely loved being there. Um and then I was really fortunate to get onto the culinary team. And then when they did the sort of stage, the, the work placements, um, the culinary team sort of got 
sent down to London to the almost the better establishments. And I was really fortunate to get a month, um, I forget, it was a month or six weeks with Gary Rhodes at um, Rhodes in the City. And that was the real sort of big sort of eye opener of, you know, very London orientated, super busy restaurant. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, that was it. If ever there was a fire already sort of going, that was that just really lit it up for me. And, and yeah, really fortunate. Went back to college, finished my studies, uh, then got an opportunity with Michael Keynes uh, down at Kidley Park to go and do some work experience there. Um, and then really fortunate, Michael offered me a job when I'd finished my studies to, to go and work there. Um, spent four years, four and a half years there. Um, you know, incredible kitchen, um, incredible discipline, learning recipes and working with the seasons, very ingredient led, um, technical food, obviously two Michelin star. And again, it was brilliant. You know, we all sort of lived in. It was a real close knit team, a real family orientation. I think in the in the years I was there, I don't think the team changed much. I, I seem to recall six or seven of us that were we were there all the time. It was, it, so it really became this family unit. Um, and then from there, I moved up to uh, Gordon Ramsay Hospital Road, um, did about a year there, and then transitioned across to New York for as part of the opening team uh, when Gordon opened at the London in New York City. So... Started off in restaurant Gordon Ramsay there um, and then moved across to run Maze. So, it was, you know, massive, massive kitchen. We sort of had two big cooking suites and the pastry was in the middle. Um, and then, yeah, moved across to run Maze for a couple of years as well. Um, and then coming sort of full circle, Michael Keynes uh, was uh, obviously with the Abode Hotel Group and he was just about to open Abode Chester. So asked if I wanted to come back and sort of head up the team there. So came back to the UK, um, did a couple of years with Michael in Chester. And then an opportunity came up to go to the Middle East, um, over to Qatar. Um, so I moved out there uh, for five years to, um, you know, it was, a, it was Qatar Foundation. So they were doing some amazing hospitality projects, sort of three in-house brands. We also partnered up with Guy Savoir and opened a restaurant with him. Um, and that was brilliant. Five years out there, you know, it's just a whole different world. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, in 2017, um, we came back to the UK and, um, Fran and I decided we, you know, we wanted to open our own restaurant and, um, put all of those things that we, uh, we'd learned from various different places, uh, into good practice. And so we set about opening Docket Restaurant and, um, in Whitchurch in Shropshire. So, yeah. And then we've been there ever since four years. So been wonderful. That's amazing. I mean, crikey, what a journey as well, hey? That's uh, a, a lot of big names, a lot of countries that you've travelled, a lot of different environments as well. I mean, is there any particular one that stands out the most to you? Anyone that you think, yeah, that 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 really set it, me off my traje- trajectory? I, I think they all sort of, you know, there's something that genuinely I can take from each and every one of them. I think starting out sort of, in the kitchen at Gidley, being in the UK, primarily surrounded by British chefs. Um, it was a real, that was a fantastic sort of foothold into the industry. And I think it was, it was brilliant. It was, it was the right pace for me. It was the right sort of technical level. It was, it was just the right, perfect environment for me. And, and then, but moving on to Gordon's, then it sort of, the pace sort of increased a little bit and moving up into London, you know, to, it was, a, it was sort of a different environment. And that in itself was fantastic. And then moving across to New York, you know, I remember, I think, I forget the number of chefs now, but we're talking, I don't know, in excess of 100 across both restaurants and pastry. And every single chef had worked in Michelin star restaurant. So it was like a million egos kicking around in the kitchen. And, you know, it was a real sort of that first couple of weeks, it was a very much sort of leveling out the pecking order of, you know, everybody. Um you're also in New York and it's a whole different dining scene. The ingredients are totally different. The availability is different. The expectation was different. Um, so that was superb. And then, you know, coming back to the UK and, and heading up the team for the first time, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and the team and management. So there's loads of stuff to take from that. And then, of course, going out to the Middle East. I mean, we, we, I could spend hours talking to you about it. It's there's so many things from 
you know, the number of nationalities we had in the team and managing that and, you know, with a team that 50% didn't really speak English. So, you know, trying to explain a cucumber and a courgette is incredibly problematic. And, you know, and it's all these, these things, but equally you're also blessed with, uh, you know, budgets like you've never seen. And so the experience there is huge. I mean, it's, and then, yeah, of course, doing our own thing. That is probably the most rewarding thing we've ever done. Um, it's also probably one of the most humble things in terms of, you know, we, we were looking at some pictures the other day when we first opened a restaurant and, you know, it's it's just got better and better. But, yeah, it's um, now it's very personal. So um, there's so much and, and really, I, I, you know, when I look at it as a career, it, it it's fantastic. And there is so much to take from every opportunity because they've been quite different, um, you know, very sort of diverse. Um, so, yeah, a lot to take from it. I have so many questions off the back of that, and I'm not sure we're going to get time to go through them all because I don't even know where to begin. I mean, first and foremost, okay, so you're working in America, surrounded by Michelin star, star experienced chefs, hundreds. Um, predominantly male back then, I assume, or, or was there was there an even split? Uh, primarily male. We definitely, definitely, there was uh, females in the team. Probably twenty percent. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I mean, obviously, things have changed, uh, uh, and I'd like to say that they've changed uh, a lot since then. But what must that have been like? Because a lot of these guys, and, and yourself included, have all come from very high-paced, fast-paced, high-stress environments, whereby. We're talking old school teachings, right? We're talking, you know, no leadership qualifications or training going on here. Like, how on earth do you establish a pecking order? And and what did that look like within an environment like that? I think it was, you know, I think it's it's almost, it, it was one of those situations where it's, it's almost quite self-policing, if you know what I mean. Amongst the team, it sort of irons itself out and not necessarily too much from the top. It was... Um, there were a few, uh, when we first went out, there was a, an opening team like myself. Uh, again, I forget the exact number, but various people had come from the different restaurants in London and we went out as, a, as an opening team. And uh, and then obviously there was a lot of like local local hires, such uh, people that were currently working in America. So yeah, there was a natural people that would already work for Gordon. And then you've got all these amazing chefs coming on board as well. Um so yeah, it was, it was very much self-policing, and I think you know, in a, in a in a pretty short time, it sort of worked itself out. Um, and then, yeah, to be honest, I think then then there was there was a there was a fantastic sort of gelling of the team, and there was a very much an understanding that you're surrounded by fantastic chefs, and yes, there's a pecking order, and you sort of you know you're all vying for position as such. But equally, there's an awful lot you can learn from everybody because there was nobody in that team that hadn't got incredible experience. And, you know, the one big thing for me of, of working for fantastic chefs is, you know, yes, working for those fantastic chefs, but the people that are attracted to working in those teams are the, you know, they're, they're the sort of people that you work with on a daily basis. And they're the people that now, you know, I stay friends with and I look up to in terms of, you know, when I look at what's going on in the industry, um, I look at the chefs I worked with when we were at Gordon's and, you know, you know, when we were with Michael Keynes and stuff, and I still look at what all of these guys are doing because they're the people that make it happen on a daily basis. So, you know, that, but you're surrounded by these incredible people. And um, yeah, New York was just, it was just, it was just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And in terms of being away from home for the first time as well, you know, I've just come off of a, a call with, um, a uh, chap who runs the PM Trust in London at Westminster College, and it provides, and it has done for many, many years, provided sort of a refuge for certainly younger chefs who have come into the industry for the first time. I know Marcus Waring was there and, and a few others uh, back along. Um, and what was it like? Because, you know, for many many people at the age of 16, 17, 18, leaving home for the first time, and not just working away from home, but working in a, in a in another country as well. How how was that for you? Did you adjust fairly quickly, or were there some sort of moments where you weren't sure? I always laugh about this because I was 
you know, you literally, I, I took two suitcases and about $250 and I booked my ticket and I flew into New Jersey because I didn't really know the difference. So I ended up in the wrong state initially. And then I had to spend like $50 or whatever getting across the river in, into New York. Um, and you start on these lessons and, you know, there, there was support there, of course, with, with the company, but you suddenly realize you're in, you know, it's that sort of thing. You're big enough and old enough to, to get a job and you sign up to these things and suddenly you have to stand on your own two feet. Um, uh, but then that's exciting. So then you start thinking about where you can live and you sort of start building your, your little life uh, over in New York. And, you know, and then, it, yeah, and you embrace it, I suppose. It's also quite easy. You, you know, you do literally just get on a plane and you move across. And it was no difference when we moved to Qatar, sort of 10 years later it was it was the same thing you you get on a plane and then you get there and then that's ex- the excitement of yeah re-establishing your life and and whatever and um that's part of the adventure for for me um you know and and yeah something I absolutely loved um and you know you make mistakes and whatever and you you yeah you end up moving flat once or twice because you've, you've picked the wrong place or whatever but that's cool and um yeah but that's part of the fun yeah, yeah, and you do that over in in the UK or whatever, wherever you are in the world. You'll always pick the pick a place that might seem all right and move in, and realize actually quite quickly it's not not at all it's cracked up to be. But um, yeah, well, you've touched upon quite an important subject of you know as if we're trying to encourage people to come into this profession and, and deem it as a profession of choice. Often enough, we don't talk about the opportunities to be able to relocate your entire life to a completely different either country or culture and use the skills that you've honed at college or during your professional career to create something for yourself that you know could could be tremendously different and exciting and it's i think that's something that we need to talk more more about especially with the younger generation yeah as i say i i i, I did okay at school um you know and i, and I got um i got an mvq I forget. I think it was one and two. Maybe I got three, and that's all. The, that's all the higher qualifications I've got. But it's sort of put me in good stead, and I've still managed to sort of travel the world and work with some amazing people and, and be in some incredible restaurants. And you know, and it, it's a funny one. Sort of uh, again, I appreciate times are changing, and, and perhaps these days, you know, you, you need certain qualifications, and I totally understand that, and, and you know, sort of embrace that idea as well. But you know, it, it is a fine line between sort of making people think that education is has to be done you know there's there's still a big amount I believe in our industry of, of coming in and cracking on and honing your craft and learning and you know really excelling um at the job and really enjoying it and and you know you don't have to be a sort of a star academic to to succeed um so long as you come in and you love what you do and all the things that you need sort of to, to, to complete the job, um, you can still do incredibly well. It's that thing that I, I keep, it keeps coming back into conversations, which is will versus skill, especially now more than ever. It's like, you know, do you, have you been to catering college? Have you, you know, have you honed your hosting skills or your, you know, knife skills? Um, chances are, possibly nowadays not you know but they they they're attracted to hospitality like all of us were back you know at some stage in our careers um and it's about whether or not people not necessarily have the skill set but have the will and the aptitude to want to learn and to to listen and to be taught in the right sort of environment so that they can become a great chef and there are many people out there who don't have any formal qualifications and still you know, got very successful businesses and Michelin stars or you know, TV TV um, appearances or whatever it might be. So, it you know, I think there's a strong case for catering colleges and we really need to ramp up that feed through from public school now uh, and secondary school into, into colleges. But I also think that people shouldn't be dissuaded from trying their hand at it if they want to. And if they can find the right environment, then, you know, the possibilities are limitless, really. I, yeah, and I think what you just said there, the right environment is key. And, you know, every time we sort of <clears throat> look at taking on a, a, a new member of the team in the restaurant, you know, we always say, look, come and do a trial shift. And it, it's as much about you looking at what we do and 
enjoying it and thinking you can fit in and feeling that you can become part of that team as much as us looking at you and seeing if we think you can, you know, because because the industry is so diverse and so diverse in many, 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 many ways, you know, you can still be in hospitality. You don't have to be sort of aspiring to work in the three Michelin star. There's still, you know, whether it's in the casual dining sector or sort of, um, you know, the service sector or whatever, it's so diverse, but there is something there for everybody. Um, you know, I'm not probably, I'm not particularly great at sort of massive numbers and high volume. It's, it, it doesn't really excite me, but that's, that's absolutely cool. There are people that, you know, don't, don't enjoy doing sort of small dining and, and real sort of the finer detail. So, and that's, but that's brilliant, but you've got to find your place in the industry because if you, you know, just because you don't like it in one restaurant, it doesn't mean that you're not sort of made to work in the industry or that you don't, you can't fit in it. It's, it's really important to find where you can fit. Um, so yeah, we, you know, as I say, we always sit down with anyone that's done a trial shift afterwards and it's great if we've, you know, we've had one or two that said, you know what, it's, it, it's not for me. I sort of want something that's a bit faster paced or a bit more volume or slightly less detailed or whatever. And, and that's absolutely brilliant. I think actually being able to make that decision very early on is is super important because otherwise you get an employee that comes on board and then it doesn't quite work. And then, yeah, it's, it's just, it's not a hugely positive and forward sort of uh, situation to be in. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And something that we talk about during our training sessions with teams is that at this moment in time, we feel there's some immense amount of pressure to be able to fill in, fill in gaps. You know, we are, Visitor numbers haven't really quietened down over the after after summer like we were expecting. Uh, in fact, you know many many people I speak to are still doing you know 110 percent of of what the expected trade is. But obviously, there are a lot less people involved in the industry now due to things like you know over here in the UK Brexit. Um, but obviously, COVID has has also uh, I wouldn't say encouraged, but has given people uh other opportunities outside of the industry perhaps to to work and and, and gain that work-life balance but one thing I always try and encourage people to do is at that first initial touch at that interview stage it's not a case of do you have two hands or one hand or are you able to be able to get involved and speak to customers or to to work behind a pass or a section actually it's about being able to understand what that individual wants from their work career and whether or not it fits for both of you, because it is, it's an arrangement. It's, it has to be mutually beneficial. And I think for far too long, we've ended up just going, yeah, yeah, we'll take you on. And that person not really finding out what the job's about. And then actually then three months down the line going, I don't want to, or perhaps even they don't have the right skill set, and they're being put under a tremendous amount of pressure, which then impacts their own well-being. And I think that's, you, you've hit upon quite a, an important first step that costs no money, no investment at all, other than just a bit of time. Yeah, and it, and as you say, it's 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 that foundation of the team. And, and if you've got one individual, or even worse, if you've got you know number of individuals coming in, and yeah, like you say, it's either the wrong position within your organization, or it's entirely the wrong organization. It it's not a it's not a conducive environment, is it? And it becomes very difficult and. Yeah, um, I remember listening to one of your podcasts before, actually, and the conversation was about it's almost, you know, do you do you take on people just to fill that position and are you better off with it, you know, or, or is it better off to not have somebody? And it's a real tussle, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's so hard because the business keeps evolving. And, you know, as you say, the, the guests are coming through the door and, you do need people to on your team to, to help you execute what's got to be done. Um, but getting the right person in the right position takes time and, you know, nurturing and development. Um, yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Definitely. And I'm sure you've, uh, I mean, you've experienced both sides of the coin and probably working environments where you've, you've just been thrown in at the deep end and, and you've had to adapt and, other environments where you've been taken under the wing and and taught and your resilience built up. But I mean, what are the key things that you'll notice from a business owner's point of view at this moment in time? What are people looking for when they come to you looking for looking for a position or looking for work? I think we're we're really fortunate. We um, 
we we have a fantastic the, the sort of younger team that work with us. We we um, we sort of have this uh, every two years. Unfortunately, we get this sort of cycle of turnover because they're, they're basically sort of post school pre uni kids. So they come, we call them kids. Forgive me, they're much younger than me. But um, yeah, and you know, so we get them sort of two years and. Um, the, the team we have now are absolutely the sort of probably the best team we've ever had. But I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And as you say, post lockdown, um, you know, business is, is, was so, so busy. And I think actually by being consistently busy or by being consistent is the important thing. The team know exactly where they stand. And, and we've, we've sort of not had this as a, we've never had this situation within our business, which, you know, we were, like I explained, we've been building the business and it's, it, you know, there's been nights where we've been incredibly quiet and it's all a bit sort of up and down. And one minute they're doing sort of two jobs merged into one and then, you know, and you pulled from pillar to post. And now we've got this wonderful routine in the restaurant where we have the three front of house roles and we rotate it to keep them sort of inspired and motivated. Um, but it's consistent every single day, the same amount of covers, the same amount of this. And, um, and that helps in turn to then motivate the team. And, you know, they definitely, you know, we all know sort of happier work environments and controlled, uh, a little bit of pressure, I believe, is, is kind of healthy. It keeps those wheels turning and, and that's fine, but not overbearing. Um, and it really is that. And, you know, the team now, they absolutely love it when they get the, the positive feedback from guests. That really motivates them. You know, they love it. And they sort of, um, you know, we, we sort of really help to make sure they know it Any uh, online reviews and stuff we've got a little whatsapp group with the team and we make sure they get it they get to see all of it if we get any email or whatever we'll copy and paste it onto the chat and so they will see everything and and that of course the monetary side but actually it's feeling their worth i guess is what i'm trying to get to is that's what really we believe really motivates the team at the minute it's um you know the the financial side of it yes of course we all need to make money but yeah, really feeling the words, really making the difference. And, you know, if one of the, the front of house guys, if they get, you know, mentioned in a review or something, they absolutely love it. It's brilliant. It's, you know, it's it's priceless. So, yeah, it's given them the platform and the, the confidence to, to do what they do. Um, and then equally, you know, sharing the, the feedback that we get so that they, they see that full picture. Um, equally, if there's any negatives, you know, we're, we're the first to sort of discuss it with them um, and not in a critical manner. But look, you know, guys, this this has not gone quite right. What can we learn from it? You know, where did we go wrong as a team? It's not the blame culture. It's not singling one person out. It's where did we get it wrong? How can we prevent it from happening again and learning from it? So it's, you know, trying to keep everything positive, uh, not sugarcoating it. It is a business and we always say it to them, you know. It, 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 you know, it's got to be on point. People come to the restaurant and they spend good money with us and we have a responsibility to give them a fantastic, fantastic experience. Um, and if we do get it wrong, we must learn from it. At least we on to something else, actually. What, are, what have uh, your reviews been like recently? Have they changed post-pandemic? I'm, I'm, I'm getting a sense that for others, it's uh, it's become slightly more negative, more critical than it perhaps it was pre. Yeah, there's certainly uh, yeah a little bit more nitpicking. It's um, yeah, I'm very much people are a little bit more yeah critical of. I really know how I can't I can't really put my finger on the button, but it's yeah, just the finer points. They're really really getting into it. Um, but again, look, you know, that keeps us on our toes and it, and, it, and it means that we look at everything a lot more frequently and a lot more in detail. And, you know, we, we really, really try, you know, more so than ever, you look at everything all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's um, you get the odd one that is questionable. <laughs> you can't you can't please everyone. And it's uh, there just uh, there seems to be this rising. I don't like the term entitlement. It's it's quite crass, I think. But there is definitely this, I think because irrespective of what sector you work in, we've all been through this shared experience, this like, you know, this where you focus on yourself, on your security, on your family. And as a result, everyone's come out and gone, 
well, my views are slightly more elevated than than they were before, and and I believe that perhaps my views are more important than than my fellow man or woman's, and it's um it's curious, and I wonder at what stage it will level out. Uh, if it will level out, I can't imagine this is just the trajectory of of the nation and the world moving forward. I think as well, though. I mean, you know, we all look at review sites and one thing or another, and I think as much as the more people are writing and the more people are reading, the more people read between the lines. So whereas before, you know, you'd see it and there'd be one or two negative comments and you'd sort of rule it out as an option. Now you look at it and say, well, okay, there's, you know, whatever, one or two negative comments, but there's a hundred positives. So, you know what, it, like you said before, you can't please everybody. Um, so yeah, in actual fact, I think a, a lot of the review sites the sort of the, the greater number of reviews, um, I don't know. I think people that read them as well, they it almost becomes not irrelevant, but it's I don't know. It's, yeah, because the stuff that's written as well is trivial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my water was a point five of a degree colder than I actually wanted it, uh, and I, I'm most most upset most upset but it's like yeah. the news now i treat reviews literally if i'm buying anything or if i'm visiting a restaurant a i won't look at the reviews because one thing that happened on one day could be completely different on another so i really don't try and put too much weight to that but two you, i just just look if it's got three stars four stars five stars whatever it might be i need it like i i need it i'm the whole point i'm looking at this now is to go, I'm either hungry, thirsty, I want to buy dog food from Amazon, whatever it might be, I need a product yes. and I'm going to buy it. If I judge it then and say, well, actually, it's, it's, it wasn't what I expected, there's my opportunity as a person to say, excuse me, that's not what I expected, or to go, all right, do you know what? I misjudge, and now I know where I can, when I can go there or when I can't or when I can buy that product, and it's just, I just... I just, yeah, it's just a crazy old cycle that we seem to be in at the moment. Ban the news, ban reviews. Let's not hold business owners accountable <laughs> for, for, for your for your under, misunderstood standards. But um, moving on, uh, obviously you've worked, as we've touched upon a number of times now, you've worked in some quite high-pressured environments. Now, you said it's fantastic and it's a great experience, but it can't have always been, you know, all roses. I mean, how... What's the subject of mental health meant to you over your over your career, and how have you engaged with it, either personally or someone that you know? I think it's um, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's certainly come to the forefront uh, more recently. Um, certainly, as an open discussion, and I think um, you know, and again, you touched on it before about especially as you progress and either as I've progressed up into management or those that sort of managed me before as such, you know, was there any training as such? And and I think that is, is key, isn't it? And in, in today's world is that realisation that, you know, just because you can cook well doesn't mean you can manage a team. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I know I've made mistakes and you learn from it. And, you know, and, and as I say, every day we just try to be better and better than, than, than the day before. And, you learn from various things and equally times have changed. So um, sort of things that may have been more appropriate or, or, or otherwise in times gone by, you know, the world's moving forward. So yeah, it's important that, you know, as long as you do move forwards um, and you sort of recognize what is right today, what is right now, um, what is right for, you know, the situation. I think that's, you know, that's really important. Um, you know, you hear it quite often sort of being a product of your environment. And that's really hard because it's, it's not an excuse, but it's also the truth. And, you know, as I say, you sort of, you learn from that and when you move forwards, but it's, you know, things like this didn't exist 20 years ago. So you, you believe, you know, what you've shown and what you see is the way it is. Um, and it's, it is only through more open conversation and, and stuff that um, we can all move forward. Um, you know, and you, yeah, you see people struggle with it, um, different pressures and personal situations going on outside of, 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 of work. Um, you know, and I think more so than ever now, there is a support network and there's, there's understanding for it. 
um, you know, um, yeah, it can be can be difficult, can't it, at times? What would you have liked to have seen during your career? What 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 one thing, what one difference would you have liked to have seen during your roles in the past that perhaps would have made the experience just that take it up just a notch in terms of overall health and well being? I think it. It's funny because I've always had this sort of, you know, when when you when you work for somebody else, I've always had this fear of whoever it is coming in and almost saying you're not working hard enough or you're not putting enough effort in, and you, you know you've almost let them down. And that was no different when you were a commie and you sort of let your chef de party down, or you know when you're the exec chef and you've let the owner down. I mean, it's that same pressure. Um, now, as the owner, we we try to coach the senior team in terms of, again, it's not that blame culture. It's that, how can we, you know, look that, that ball got dropped, but let's talk it through. Let's see how that happened. And again, I think, you know, time's gone by. It's just been sort of like, you know, you're the top of the tree. So you, you sort of, you get blamed for it, you know, irrespective of the million things that can, can affect the outcome of a, a plate of food whether it's the supply chain or the kitchen porter or the dishwasher or the food itself or the hot plate or the waiter or what you, I mean, whatever the chef, whatever, there's a million or yourself, whatever, there's a million, million things, but you know, and I get it. Part of being higher up the tree, you get accountability and I, I appreciate that for sure. But yeah, I think, you know, it's very much was you're in charge. You've dropped the ball. It's all on you. Um, which I don't really think is always helpful, especially when that's, like we say, sort of paired with historically lack of training to be a, a better manager, someone in charge, whatever term uh, you, you want to put to it. Um, because then you just, where's the aspiration for that? You basically climb the tree and then you just getting shit left, right and centre. different level. <laughs> yeah yeah and it is a, it's a very valid point as well like one of the studies we did fairly recently for about two and a half thousand people showed it was the you know everyone's feeling it um certainly within hospitality and it's the middle management uh that that, that are getting quite a lot of it at the moment because you've got your manager p l's plus you've got to imagine manage your team's expectations and also you've got to manage your own performance whilst all of this is going on and obviously business owners as well, you know, it's all very much, you know, we talk a lot about what business owners can do for their teams and, and you know, for the individuals that work within their organisations. But, you know, also there's an element of trying to survive during quite a financially restrictive time and also, you know, not being trained in terms of being able to develop a new rotor systems or procedures and always looking back at the things, that all, the way things were and going, well, it's always been done like this. Why isn't it working now? And the scratching your head going, like, how can it be any different? Uh, and it's quite in, you know, we need to spare a thought for all all sides because, yeah, again, we're only human and we're only doing what we've learned or, or the limit of our knowledge and capabilities to be able to to implement changes and create healthier environments, hey? I think, you know, what you say there about, you know, business owners and, you know, ultimately I think that's, integral in in the whole loop isn't it because the business owner sort of sets the standards and the, the expectation and certainly pushes down on the senior management and then that gets filtered down through the hierarchy so you know on one hand now as a business owner but previously business owners have worked for you know they sort of they they obviously set the set the ball in motion but it's also yeah like you say the the flip side of that and having to keep the lights on and making sure that everyone gets paid and you know that is also incredibly tough and you know again it's it doesn't allow anyone to act or be in a certain way but that is a huge pressure um you know there are there are months and months where we've myself and my wife we've gone without being paid but every single member of the team has been paid you know we've never missed a payroll of course we haven't you can't but also that's the responsibility to take on with the business. And it's not a sub story, but that's, you know, you make your bed, you lie in it. But equally that then brings pressure. It then brings questions like, why the hell are we doing this? Like mm. we're working a million hours a day, whatever. We're not getting paid. All the savings and everything that we'd put into it 
you know, and that brings pressure. It's our sole income into our house. And, you know, it sort of it then becomes really personal. You know, we've got a small child. I've got a wife that I'm supposed to look after. And, you know, and then you've got, you walk in and you've got a commie chef that's like breaking equipment for fun and like chucking produce in the bin and stuff. And you sort of like, you know, there's my child's next meal, which has gone in the bin. But mm. it's so, it becomes really, I mean, it does, it becomes very personal. So um, at times it's, yeah, incredibly stressful. And yeah, you're absolutely right that the business owners, all business owners have responsibility to set that culture and make a better work environment and everything else. But they're also in a really, really difficult spot because they're the people that financially are making it all happen. So or it's certainly for the get-go to, to get it up to speed. Um, I think you've just yeah. touched upon quite an interesting thing that I talk with a lot of management teams about, and I say to them, forget your title. It means fuck all to anyone. What you have to realise is that you're a human being and the person sitting next to you is a human being and another human being, and ultimately, if you're in the same environment with each other for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, whatever it might be, you got to look out for each other as human beings. It's just, it's just once you start to realize that the business owner is, yeah, you've guessed it, a human being. And then your manager is a human being and KP and your waiter and waitress and everyone's just a human being and start to think beyond your title and your, your pecking order, so to speak. Ultimately the workplace can become a much nicer environment because although yes, you need to have direction when you all come at that direction together as a shared entity, all focused on basically making it a nicer place to work and to, to enjoy coming to work, you, your mindset's completely changed. Yeah, there's that sort of, um, as much as being managed, it's also managing upwards, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, it's it, it, exactly what you said. I respect, I struggle with that word. I just find it, it's a bit sort of chucked around a bit. But it is that, understand exactly what you're saying, understanding that person's, uh, that they're above you, what might be going on with them as much as, you know, we have a responsibility to look after all the team members within our team. Of course we do. Um, yeah. You know, they, they, I believe as an employee, you sort of have a responsibility to respect your workplace as well and, and appreciate what you've got and what you, you know, the equipment, beer or the team around you or the facility or the company that you work with is just take on board what that is. Um, and, you know, you have a role to play in the sustainability of that. And it's a funny thing because, you know, the less kit that gets broken and the, the less food that gets wasted and one thing or another, you'll probably find them, the boss is a lot happier. It's, you know, but it's, yeah, it's that round, round circle, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, it, again, what we were saying earlier about being able to be very good at turning on the dime, but actually when we look at the reasons why we're operating on 2 or 3% net profits is because, you know, our turnover rates are 100% higher, 200% higher than the, than the national average. And, you know, wastage costs are a massive thing. And we like, I mean, I've come from a wholesale background, so I know what it's like to get a phone call from a chef and go, you're fucking rinsing me on this butter and it's costing me 50p more than it should do. And it's like, yeah, but if you're you know, you don't want to be the one to say, well, if you're throwing it away or if you're throwing like all of your all of your carrot tops in the bin and not using them for stock, then, you know, it's not always as simple, as clear cut as being able to point the finger and blame someone. And it is things like wastage, equipment, about turning the lights off on and off at the right times and, you know, saving the small pennies here and turnover. And ultimately, the sooner that we can sort of look at those things, provide the healthy cultures, the more profits business owners make, and hopefully the good ones will realise that actually by reinvesting it back into the team means that that same team will be there in 10 years' time. <laughs> and you've got this... It's funny, when, when we were in... Um, when I was in Doha in Qatar, we obviously relied heavily on international recruitment. So, you know, the, the onboarding costs was, uh, you know, back when I was there, that the company had the obligation to fly the employee in and then obviously take care of all costs and one thing or another whilst the employee was in the country and then at the end of their employment be it through resignation or termination you had to pay for them to fly out of the country so significant cost on the business and we actually worked out that if we paid an additional month's salary per year as a bonus 
we would retain more staff and it would be cheaper than basically getting 20 new employees every single year. But then more importantly, you get that continuation of employment. So from a consistency in the business, you know, you're not bringing new people in that take time to get trained up and whatever. You've got happier employees that have longer service. So they know the routine. They're more in, in you know, in the mix with the business. And that was a massive, great thing. And, you know, I, I don't know that we can afford an extra month's salary every year, but we can certainly look at, you know, you realize that sort of incentivized, uh, sorry, incentive for employees is, is integral to keeping them within your business. And, and it's that reward, you know, the, the better the business does. No difference to, you know, you see so many senior roles getting bonus schemes, you know, staff retention and uh, food cost and equipment cost, labor cost and blah, blah, blah. But actually, if it's filtered down the levels, I think, you know, I think it might help. Um, equally, I'm a big believer that when you're a commie, you don't want to be blinded by the business because it's you, you're there to learn your craft. So, it's again, it's a fine line, but um, it's also all-encompassing because, mm. you know, as a commie, if you, like you say, if you're throwing all the carrot tops away, then that's having an impact on everything else. So the sooner you can be aware of it, I think is really important because all of those pennies really make a difference. It's the financial acumen. It's the, it's the, yeah, it's perhaps things that you don't necessarily always get taught at, at college or at school. You know, we, we our curriculum over here, certainly, and I'm sure it's probably similar in a lot of other countries, doesn't teach you about financial um, competency within a commercial environment. And, we all work in a business. Either we own it, we work in it, or we're, we're just passing through. But ultimately, the, the better we can understand that, you know, the better we're able to do. And you're right. And I also always talk about being $5,000 or pounds per person for every person that you have to find, recruit, wastage, insurance, uniform, you know, you name it, setting them up on payroll. It's about £5,000 per person. But then if you chuck flights and accommodation and everything else on top of that as well, then it is about actually going, well, hold on, rather than losing all that money because we've lost the individual, we can keep them. But also at the same time is they've got a whole years of experience under their belt. They're able to train and build a better culture. And it's about getting that, that continuous cycle of people come in, but they never leave. I'd rather people say, I can't get rid of my team. I've tried, I've asked them to leave and they won't leave me. <laughs> And there are businesses out there. There are restaurants, as I've spoken to, like, I just can't get rid of my team members because they just don't want to leave. And I'm like, great. Can we write a book about yeah. this? This sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and complete, it almost sounds like complete fallacy in this, in this industry as well, but it does happen and it, it does exist. And for any college students out there, go work for a business like this. Find one that you don't want to leave because you love it too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's next for you then? Uh, obviously, you, you know, you're concentrating on the business. You're saying you're building uh, a bigger team and you're still doing the uh, the takeaway home kits as well, which is, I mean, that's amazing that that's still going. A whole two operational structures having to try and run those at the same time. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? I think, you know, we, we I think we, you know, we, we're looking forward to that sort of now building our business um, you know, I will forever be hands-on. I'll probably turn into one of those really annoying owners that, you know, you just can't get out of the kitchen that's always in there, like, meddling. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we, in the same way that, you know, for years, I've, you know, you, you want to build up the youngsters within your team, the junior roles. I think now we're really looking as well to the senior roles um, and, you know, getting to a point where the business um, has got a team that can run it, Um so we can, we're not sort of, not stuck in the business, but, you know, it's not dependent on us on a daily basis. Um, you know, we, we, we want to see a team that develops, that can run the operation, that, um, you know, they themselves develop and become fantastic managers, um, you know, sort of running the business, understanding the financials of one thing or another, and, you know, that, that allows us to, to go off and do other things that promote the business or bring us further opportunities, be it, you know, one-off events or who knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that for us is where it is, is, you know, 
really about the team and, and the business and building on the standards of what we do and, and you know, refining everything that we do um, and, you know, really making it the best we can be. Um, you know, we we sort of, we've got our own expectations and, and you know, we, we're not sort of competing against anybody necessarily. We just, we just love what we do and, and yeah, um, we just want to build that team to help us achieve it. Good on you. Good on you. It's, uh, yeah, investing in today to uh, to make a future for tomorrow, hey? And, uh, and and the people who are going to make that happen for you as well. Um, Stuart, you travelled back in time, right? You found a time machine and, and it's pinged you back to when you were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 18 years old and you've met yourself and you've shaken hands and you've gone, God, what advice can you tell me from the future? What piece of uh, what nugget of information would you give to yourself to say, here we go? I think the biggest one is probably taking stock of, of, of the moment. Sort of, you know, I love I, so many good memories of the amazing kitchens and people I've worked with and experiences that they've, they've sort of born. And, yeah, I guess it's almost just if I could have taken an extra breath at each of those steps and really just paid attention to it. And I think, you know, the, uh, I've, I'm super proud of everything I've done, but I've, I've also, you know, you're on that sort of hamster wheel and it, you know, it would have been nice just to sort of take a breath. And I guess that leads to where we are today though. You know, it's about trying to manage that time and rather than putting in the big long hours every day and then just being tired, it would be just sort of stop and take a breath and enjoy the moment. I think that's that's the simplest way of putting it. Mm, yeah, mindfulness, mindfulness at work and for your life and where you are in your career progression, um, which is advice that I'd like to take myself. But again, <laughs> just keep plowing forward. <laughs> it just doesn't stop, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And then you realise once you have children as well that all of a sudden life is, uh, you know, it's um it's not limitless like you thought it was at 17 18 years old and it flies you by almost twice as quick which is something i was always warned about as a kid but i never believed it i thought yeah whatever yes <laughs> and it's funny how we... we're, the, we're the ones now saying oh you know yeah you should just exactly everything that you were told as a youngster you're now repeating it but um, yeah it's true cool. Who would have thought it? You know, when we were having these conversations, you're like, oh, you know, you should really pay more attention to this and do that. And, you you know, we used to go, yeah, yeah, I will never be like you. And then, <laughs> you know, mid, mid to late 30s, you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've just literally turned into my dad. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Who luckily never listens to these podcasts. So it's all right. We're on a good roll. But, um Stuart, thank you very much for your time. If people wanted to to find out more about you or or even come and visit you, where can they where can they do so? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got a website, docketrestaurant.com or uh, social media platforms. Um, Docket Restaurant is on there or, or my own, Stuart Collins. Um, yeah, you can find us on all of them. Good man, good man. And uh, are you popping up at any events anytime in the next six months or so? Are you, are you traveling? Uh, we've got a fantastic event in uh, London with the NSPCC um, catching up with a few of the Great British menu guys down there uh, in December so that will be um, at the Guildhall so that'll be amazing uh, and then nothing else in the diary um, we've got a few smaller events with the restaurant um, and then fingers crossed next year will be full of events um, and you know from, from early, early spring so um, yeah looking forward to it yeah, well, hopefully, if you're in London in March, I'm, uh, we're we're going to be at the Salon International Salon Culinaire uh, event at the XL, so that could be a, be a, a good day out. It'd be good to good to put a, a, a real face, not a, just a two D flat screen. You know, you realise that people actually do have proportions rather than uh, <laughs> although for, if you're anything like me, a little bit more rotund than perhaps I was before the before the pandemic. <laughs> no, that'd be brilliant. It'd be good. It'd be good. Cool. It's been great catching up with you. Thank you ever so much, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Brilliant to speak to you. Cheers, Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you haven't yet 
checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.